0: Our scripture today comes to us from 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians for about five weeks. And I think this is a great place to start. All about invitation, what God is inviting us into. And so we'll be here for a number of weeks. Our scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians right at the beginning. The introduction to the whole letter. And hear these words of Paul. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, And our brother, Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus, for in every way... You have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, be to Again, I forgot we weren't going to do robes today, <laughs> so I guess I feel overdressed. But next week, next week, no robes, um, friends. The church in Corinth was a church with problems. <laughs> of course, all of the churches to which Paul writes had issues and conflicts. Without church fights, we wouldn't have a lot of the New Testament. Theologian and the storyteller Donald Miller says of conflict, if you have a beautiful story, it has to have conflict. And so by that understanding, I'd say the church in Corinth has a beautiful story. <laughs> Around 50 AD, Paul would spend 18 months in Corinth building relationships and setting up a church community. And the church was diverse economically, ethnically, religiously. You had Lots of different kind of people in that church. Honestly, Corinth reminds me of a good Methodist church where you have a sprinkling of former Baptists, Presbyterians, Catholics, Lutherans, you name it. We're all here. (laughs) Of course, when you have this much diversity in a community, it breeds some conflict, some disagreement. And there was serious division. And people were beginning to silo themselves in this church into tribes based on lesser things in the church at Corinth. There were serious divisions in the church based on popularity. People were creating sides based on what preachers they liked and what preachers they didn't like. That hasn't happened since. There were, serious issues regarding, there were serious issues regarding the sexual ethic of the congregation. There were people sleeping around, some with the temple prostitutes, and there was even one situation where a particular member of the body was involved with his stepmother. And that sounds a little bit more like the movies, like The Graduate, than it does the New Testament. There were arguments about what to do when it came to eating meat that was sacrificed in the temples of the Roman gods. Is it okay? Can we eat it? Can we eat a New York strip that's been dedicated to Zeus? I don't, I don't know. There were problems in weekly worship, too. Some were speaking in tongues, and it was not benefiting the body. The Corinthian church saw itself as pretty high and mighty, because they'd been given these wonderful gifts, but they weren't using them right, they were getting in their own way. And probably the last major issue had to do with Jesus' resurrection. Some thought that the resurrection wasn't real, and so Paul had to correct them. And in modern day language, I imagine Paul would agree with one of my pastor mentors who used to say, if the resurrection weren't real, do you think I'd be putting up with any of this? So Paul is writing to this problem church to correct a lot of issues and to hold them together to remind them they're a community centered around Jesus and that they are in this together, whether they like it or not. So they've got to learn to work together. Edward Everett Hale said, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together, that's success. And our passage today is the introduction to this effort. Of course, Paul begins, like he always does, with his name and rank, as well as his co-worker. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, Sosthenes. And then he addresses the church, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. What is Paul doing? At the very beginning, Paul is placing the church in their proper context. To the problem church in Corinth, with everybody everywhere who calls on Jesus, he's making sure they know that they aren't as special as they think they are. (laughs) They're part of something much larger happening in the world, their story is part of a, a larger story. William Barclay wrote this, it would be greatly to our good if sometimes we lifted our eyes beyond our own little circle and thought of ourselves as part of the church of God, which is as wide as the world. That's what Paul is trying to communicate. And he begins his letter by lowering the special church down a peg. (laughs) You're not the center of the universe. You have been called, it's true, but so is everybody else. Jesus isn't just your Lord. He's everybody's. And the rest of Paul's greeting is a small paragraph of thanksgiving, which happens to also include Paul's setup for addressing the many conflicts being experienced in the church. You heard it. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul really saying here? Let me try, let me try reading it a different way. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. This church... Has experienced the gifts of God. But Paul says to them, Any gifts you have are from God. Don't you dare forget it. And those gifts are not evidence of your own self governing spiritual capability or intelligence or superiority. In chapter 4, Paul says it this way What do you have that you did not receive? Professor of church history, Alan Gregory, describes it this way. The Corinthians are what they have received, and they have received much. One saint in this church has always told me, I have been given so much, and why would I ever not give back? The church in Corinth has been given much. And Paul is working to grant this body of believers a little humility, a little perspective, I can't remember who said it, but I love it. The quote, one of the great tragedies for any human being is going through life believing the only perspective that matters is my own. It reminds me of this past Christmas when nephews and nieces all under the age of four were opening their presents. One nephew asked for another present. His grandmother gave him one and he opened it. And this four-year-old said out loud, I don't want this gift. And his mother took him out of the room, and I think he came back later with a little bit of perspective. The church, the church in Corinth needs perspective. And Paul says, indeed, the gifts you have are from God, but only worthy of bragging about when you brag that they're free, that they're from the Spirit. What you have, you received. And from there, Paul continues on, about what the Corinthian church has received, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, great, you've got gifts, but don't forget that these come from God. They are not of you, they are of God. And also know this, you haven't yet received that for which the church ultimately belongs. The final coming of Jesus the Christ, when he will once and for all triumph, over evil and darkness. You've got gifts, but you haven't received the ultimate yet. And that's when Paul concludes his opening statement. God is faithful, and God called you into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word fellowship is a Greek term you've probably heard before, koinonia. It means fellowship. It means community. It means partnership. You were called into this partnership with each other and with Jesus Christ. One pastor said it this way, to participate in the church is to find oneself summoned to close and even sacrificial relationships with others, in partnership with others, including those with whom one might ordinarily have nothing at all in common. This. This is Paul's ultimate thesis for the rest of the letter, a letter in which he deals with conflict and issues and disagreements and division head on. You were called into this community, into this partnership with Jesus and with each other. You were never uncalled. God has not torn up the agreement. You have not been uninvited to this party. God called you into this community, into this partnership with Jesus Christ and each other, and he is still calling you to the same Paul says, you have been called, you've been invited into this wonderful koinonia, this amazing partnership. And throughout the rest of the letter, he will acknowledge the hurt and the wounding that they have done to each other. I don't know if you've ever known that church hurt hurts a little bit different than any other kind of hurt. And he'll attempt to dress the wounds, to stop the bleeding, to remind them of what is important and to reorder them back to Jesus And what is the manner in which he seeks to heal these wounds? He reminds them that they come from God, their gifts come from God, that community is hard, but that they have been called to partnership. And they have been called to invite others into that community, that partnership as well. Dr. Martin Luther King said that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men, of women willing to be co-workers with God. Co-workers with God. It's a partnership, and it's one which God invites us all into. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I don't know if you notice this, but before the majority of that, that correction, before the whole letter, before he attempts to right the wrongs, before Paul reminds the Corinthian church of their partnership together, of the fact that they have to learn to work together. Before all that, Paul begins right in the middle of verse three. Paul says to this problem, church, I give thanks to God for you. Hmm. I love that. I do, that in the midst of sharing a harsh word, Paul still lets them know, even with all you got going on, even with this long letter that I've had to write to get on to you about things I think you should have already figured out, I'm still and always thankful for you. Paul can express thanks because he is confident that the church that is now torn by division will ultimately be the unified and holy community that God has called them to be. Paul can express thankfulness because he knows that this is not the end. He has an incessant hope that insists on concentrating on the future possibilities, the future healing, the future wholeness, even though right now they seem in a rough spot, a little divided, all signs pointing to to a breakup, even though right now they're incredibly and unapologetically broken. (laughs) I'm broken, (laughs) you're broken. We are broken, we are broken individuals joined together in a broken unity, seeking to serve God in a broken organization for the sake of a broken world. But I think it is in the midst of brokenness that God does God's best work. I've seen it and I believe it. Vance Havner once said, God uses broken things, it takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength, and a broken body to pour out grace on all. And before he even writes the letter, Paul knows that this church is broken. But with that understanding and firm belief in the power of God in the midst of brokenness, Paul actively thanks God for this church, because they still have something to offer. They still have a future ahead. They still have work to do, and they are still, every one of them, loved by God. John Prine says, You got gold inside of you. And in the Corinthian church, with everything it's got going on, all of its conflict and its division, its bickering, anger, arguments, grief, brokenness, Paul believes that there's still some gold. And Paul writes this church to tell him, I give thanks to you, I give thanks to God for you, for all of you, for the good and the bad, for the weakness and the strength, for the division and the unity. For God has indeed partnered us together, and this is part of it. We've been invited into this fellowship, into this body by God. We are co-workers with God, and we have been called to invite others in, to invite others to see that unity around Christ can indeed bridge gaps we never thought possible to invite others to see a future that we never thought could happen and to share with the world what it is that God can do in the midst of brokenness. Dr. Bill Fleet was a pediatrician in Nashville for many years. He was a friend of our family, and he passed away recently. And at At his funeral, his children said that Dr. Bill was a fixer. I don't know if you know somebody like that. You just take anything to them and they'll fix it. He could move mountains, he could fix anything, and his daughter said, whenever we broke something, we never went to mom, because we knew what she'd say. She'd just say, wait till your father gets home. (laughs) And he came home one night from a long day of caring for the world, and she, this daughter, in tears, presented her daddy with her brokenness in the form of a damaged doll. And she said, Daddy, can you please fix it? And he said, sweetheart, of course I can fix it. In fact, he said, I can make it better than before it was broken. Dr. Bill reminds me of another father who sees us in all our brokenness and envisions a future where we will be put back together better than before we were broken. That's my story. That's your story, and I thank God for that. Let us pray. God, this morning I'm thankful that you are, (laughs) in different ways, a fixer. And that we never know exactly how you might intervene. We have our thoughts, we have our ideas about how you should do your job. And we're usually not correct. But you do have a way of putting us back together better than we were before. So heal us, oh God. Intervene in our lives. Shower your grace upon grace upon grace upon us. And may we be people who go into the world... Acknowledging our wounds, acknowledging our scars, our brokenness, and pointing to the one who can put us back together. In Jesus' name, amen.